Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock, and all month long we are talking to some real leadership powerhouses that are going to help us really dive down deep into how we can be better leaders through what is going to be even more change for us as business continues to evolve, even as it starts to churn again, and maybe what we might think of some back to normal. But my guest today is going to also talk about something that has to do with really an incredibly important part of leadership, and that is the human component and specifically something about his business, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So my guest today is uh, Stefan Tieringer, and he's a business thinker. He's an innovation strategist. I have another friend who does that as well. He's an executive coach and his recent company is called the Human Innovation Garage. I love this. It's a leading coaching and advisory firm, and it works at the critical intersection of important things for us to talk about as leaders, talent, and business. And he's been recognized by the WHRC and the WCC as 2020 world's 101 top coaching leader. I love it. And he's received many, many other global and national accolades. But here's what I love. And I know that this is important to us all. He's passionate about inspiring people, transforming organizations. And what makes this so important is the culture of those organizations, something that's even more important today, given all we've been through in a a year plus of pandemic lockdown, remote work, and now us trying to figure out what work looks like moving forward. But he's also a serial entrepreneur. He's had a few disappointments and failures along the way, a few successes as well. And he's passionate about reminding people of the human factor and creating space for high performance by being, living, and just making sure that we are focused on the right things. So, He's also spoken around the world. I know he's been a TEDx speaker as well. He's engaged deeply into education technology and education impact and equal access, which is so important. And he serves on several company boards, is an angel investor in over a dozen companies. I just actually entered that angel investor status myself in a company and recently became a shareholder in a foosball club. And you might know that as soccer. And he's originally from, oh boy, I'm I'm just going to say Germany. I'm going to have him tell me the, the name of it and resides Currently in Boston, so <laughs> I I can only do my pronunciation so far, Stefan. <laughs> so there, I love there it. we I love go. It. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today, Michael. It's such an honor to be here. And, uh, <laughs> wow, what an introduction! Right? They always make this joke: then shorter your introduction is, then better, um, because <laughs> nobody introduces Bill Gates. They just say, "Here's Bill Gates." Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Honor. Well, thank you. And I love, I, you know, it's hard sometimes with people's bios because there's always so much fascinating stuff. I want to read so much of them. And sometimes I have people that are like three pages long and I'm like, I can't read it all, but I wish I could. Cause it's so exciting. I love all the things in people's histories, but 
So I hit some of the highlights, but tell us a little bit more about you and your business and how you help your clients to shock their potential. Hell yes, I will. Um, so I think, you know, you you mentioned the business and I think the the name of the business really explains everything what we do and what we really also in philosophy and value stand for. Human Innovation Garage. Three things, three components, three words in one company name. Uh, the factor of human in humanity, which includes everything from, you know, humility to humanity. And I mm. think that's a big part of where if we look at human beings and who we are on an individual basis, uh, we can all find brilliance within us. Uh, we mm. may not be conformists. We may not be, you know, exactly as the other person wants us to be. But I think that's the beauty of really understanding our own environments and keeping curiosity about each other. And we'll hopefully talk a little more about that later. The second piece, innovation, which is I think we make innovation very complicated, right? Even in business. <laughs> uh -huh. If we think about, uh, take, a, take an example like Uber, nothing of the components of Uber is any new, um, but it's just the way it's being put together. It makes it convenient, makes it accessible, it makes it relevant, it creates impact. Mm -hmm. And I think if we as human beings do the same thing and we start looking at all the inherent brilliant pieces that we as human beings have and we start assembling them a little different and we start also creating the tolerance, the, the understanding of each other, mm -hmm. that the round square does not always fit into a square hole uh, and vice versa. Um, I think that's a big component of really building high performance culture. And you talked about culture a little bit already, and that's a big part of what I focus my time on, particularly mm -hmm when I work with teams and organizations. Mm -hmm. And the third piece is garage. Right? That's where you <laughs> drop off your car. And what a garage has its tools and it has certain processes, structures and procedures. And that's really the, the last component, which I think is important. People need to have structure. People need to have what I like to call rituals and habituation. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's simple things for me personally in the morning to get up, to meditate, to be on my Peloton or to go to a Tabatha run or similar to that. Um, that is just part of what's programmed into my day. It doesn't matter if it's Monday, if it's Saturday, if it's Sunday. Um, that is something which from a understanding also today, we talk about it, right? The, the chemistry levels of a human being and how do we really invigorate chemistry levels in that instance, dopamine in the morning and serotonin, that feel good uh, chemical mm -hmm. that uh, our body produces. How can we help that? How can we support that? And that's really where a big part of my work is done. If that's again with individuals or with organizations. You know, I, and I love the fact you use garage. And as you were talking about that, it reminded me, because uh, as a child growing up until I was in uh, high school, my father uh, was, he owned a gas station and he was a mechanic. So that was the day where the mechanic fixed your car, but also pumped your gas and checked your oil yeah. and put washer fluid in if you needed to. Yeah. And he would park the cars for the, you know, people that parked with him and would walk down, you know, town to work at their bank job or whatever. But you're absolutely right. You drop your car off there to be fixed, knowing it's going to be fixed with the right tools in the right ways. You don't think about it, but you know that you have to follow processes in order to fix that vehicle. You can't just decide what pieces and parts you want to put in. They have to go in a certain way or the car doesn't drive. And yet a lot of companies that are trying to work on creating a, a better workplace or a different culture, or maybe trying to inspire more innovation. There's this, this idea that we can just pick and choose a few things that we'd like to do, and that's magically going to make it better. But there are certain formulas and there are certain procedures that we know lead to outcomes. Mm -hmm. What do you think keeps people from trusting that and really diving in 
rather than saying, well, we're just going to see, we're going to try a little here and we're going to try a little there and see what's, what sticks. Well, what a great question. Um, I want to, I want to back up for a moment because I think it's a funny story for you and for, for the listeners also. And when I was a child, I used to love going with my father who was a politician and with him as well as with his driver to the gas station. And what I wanted to be actually was a gas station attendant. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why, because the piece I love this, my mom at that time was driving an Audi and the Audi in the old days, a window in the front was two windows, the middle window was two windows, and then there was the back in the front. So there was mm-hmm. in a total of two, four, six, eight, ten windows. Right. And I loved with that with that squeegee to yes. wash the windows. And I was obsessed equally as I'm obsessed about a bread of Nutella when I put Nutella on the bread to make that exactly even. So that's my uh-huh. that's my gas that's my gas station story. But to, uh, to your question, you know, I think one of the biggest, biggest pieces we miss and we don't talk enough about it. And companies, I think, are afraid about talking, particularly after 2020, is trust. Mm-hmm. And and trust is, um, Judith Glazer wrote this beautiful book about conversational intelligence and has a whole piece of, about it. And unfortunately, Judy, Judith is no longer alive. But in, in, in the work I've done with her, one of the biggest pieces she talks about is how do I move from I to we? Mm, so because good. we are i think from a from a young age we are you know we're very much uh, products of our surroundings products of our uh, surroundings if that's our parents of mother and father and there's obviously caregivers and there's different uh, levels of caregiving which then oftentimes at a later age we end up with all kinds of things like abandonment issues anxiety around that and all kinds of stuff and it's very basic behaviors mm. that actually trigger that at a young age and then 30 years later, we sit in a therapist's office and we say, oh, my God, I feel like whatever <laughs> I feel like. And, and it's, it's really, I think, what's fascinating to me in the work I do and have done with executives, with Olympic athletes, is everybody has the same issues. I just had a conversation with somebody who was the president of an organization that everybody on, on this call, would, uh, on, this, on this interview, would know. And the same issues. There's no difference, right? I mean, there is this, this study from Stanford University from Fortune 100 uh, leaders of organizations, what is the thing you're most afraid of? And their biggest fear is to be discovered as a fraud. Mm -hmm. How do I defend myself against that? And how do I um, go into your question of, well, why are people reluctant to engaging us? Because I think the clarity of what's the result is oftentimes when we talk about transformation, we talk about what is it that I want and what is the identity I want to create um, going forward in the future? What does that look like? I think people, clarity about that for themselves because nobody gives them any kind of resources to really draw that let's call it for the sake of the discussion that avatar of themselves mm-hmm. and then we have these so-called habituation cycles right and 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 marshall goldsmith top 50 business thinker a, a great guy in the coaching world he wrote this book called triggers and then he also wrote a book right after which is what got you here won't get you there and mm-hmm. those things they can't go without each other triggers which ultimately the awareness of what's happening in the moment of a given situation that I'm in, but how do I change that? And if I can't give you a clear recipe and advice, a transformational journey, so to speak, which says, okay, you know what? I, I recognize what's going on. I'm able to help you understand what's going on. How do we rephrase it? And there's all kinds of different methodologies to do that. One part is neurolinguistic programming. One part is talk therapy, parts therapy, then there's psychology and other, other, other tools we can draw on in that context. And I think where the commitment to self, the recognition of that I deserve, 
the recognition of that I, um, I, I'm gifting. I oftentimes say to my, my potential clients, I said, you need to gift that to yourself. Yeah. And, and it's momentum. It's yeah. it's these things where sometimes you're you're a global speaker. You know how do you sometimes have this amazing energy in a room, yeah. and people just get it. Okay, yes. so as a great speaker, um, uh, the way you've spoken, know that people take one two things out of this room, and you've mm -hmm. got to give them one two things because most of us, when we give a keynote, or we're not saying anything new, but the way we phrase it, the way we put the message, Hits the them. actionable item out there. It hits somebody. Yeah. And that's the piece which is also in this context with transformation. I think such an important piece. If there's something you can connect with, um, why me? What's in it for me? Because that is always the whiffem, right? People always right. want to know what's in it for me. If that is tangible, if that is visible, if that is not just out of a space of fear and anxiety being reacted to something because I'm afraid of losing my job or my position or my income, that becomes real, that becomes meaningful. And I think that's part also, if that's not there, why people don't engage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, you're right. It is, it's always funny when I talk, because I always say to people, you know, what I'm going to share with you is, is not anything that's, you know, like the, the newest thing that you've never, ever heard before. I'm never going to blow your mind with, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. But I want you to say, I never thought of it that way. That's right. I never thought of it that way. And now that you say it and I can recognize it, then I need, I need to, to change. And my, my theory is as we go back to work physically, um, I know there are some businesses that are back to work physically, which is great. I mean, being in the same spaces together, but as we go back to work in more people physically, uh, more people hybrid, you know, or more people that all you, uh, that want to go back physically, but yeah. maybe their businesses yeah. aren't, they're staying remote that we have such not an we have an opportunity absolutely but we have a responsibility to really make some good evaluations of what we're doing especially as leaders are we making the right decisions how do we know are we asking our teams are we are we having the right dialogues are we evaluating and, and reflecting on where we are because I think for so long, people just said, well, once we can go back to work, everything will go back to normal. Well, nothing's going to go back to normal. There's no way. There was no normal anyway, but there's no way we can go back to right. where we were 18 months right. ago. Right. But we can use this to learn how to be better and to be better leaders and better employees and better business owners and better you know, global citizens if we just step back and, and allow ourselves to walk into that garage and ask for a tune-up. <laughs> Well, you know, I think, I think, I think the, the key word you just said is allowing, right? I think mm -hmm. there's a, a, a great leaders and, and I, I, you know, we're so quick and no disrespect, but we're very quick in the United States to say, oh, he's a great leader. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of great managers, but let's, you know, make the same distinction between politicians and statesmen. We have a lot of great <laughs> politicians, but we don't have as many statesmen. And I think sometimes yeah, that's true. that same, that same model needs to apply to leadership. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I would almost, um, if, if I may, how rude of me to challenge the podcast host, um, say instead of better, maybe we can look at it more or less or different. Mm, and oftentimes yeah. when, I, when I work with organizations yeah. and, and how they give each other feedback, it's this, you know, what I need more from you is this, what I need less from you is that, and what I need different is this. Which also, um, you know, is, is I think in any, if that's a romantic personal relationship, that's how it works. And it's not about, I need you to do, it's about when you do, it makes me feel. And yes. 
that allows people to respond to that, right? So tools are not just about, well, here's a big box of tools with a hammer, a nail, and a screwdriver and something else. A tool is also the structure and the model of an empathetic conversation, right? Mm. Well, what I hear you say is X, Y, Z. All right, let me confirm that. So what you just said is, did I get that all? It's like when, when kids sit in the back of the car, right? How many times do they ask, why, 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 why? We say in innovation, once you start asking five to seven times the question why, that's when innovation starts happening, right? Mm. We do the same thing in, in Blue Sky sessions and organizations. And I think we have to provide that space, right? Because to your point, we need to allow work-life balance doesn't exist anymore. It's Correct. now work-life integration. Yes. And anybody who looks at anything different than that is fooling themselves. Right. And I think the other part, what we're seeing more than ever before, and you can almost break it down by organizations and by the leadership age in the organization. And let me explain. There's a traditionalist approach of micromanagement because we're used to my generation. We're used to having people in the office because it makes us feel good. That's reflective mm -hmm. of productivity. If I have 25 people, 50 people, 500 people mm -hmm. around me, mm -hmm. when I can touch down, I can go into a conference room <clears throat> and I can connect with people face to face because I can play my games when I play in a conference room because I need to manipulate a, a, a negotiation of an agreement of a contract, whatever else it is. Mm -hmm. be, be there's a negative or a positive connotation. The point what we need to understand now is, is there's five generations in the workforce. The generation which is two behind us Mm -hmm. They are very comfortable in working remotely and the GSD, right? Getting shit done yep. is, is done remotely. And then they come yep. back together and they co-create, collaborate for a moment and they retreat in their respective corners. They're very yes. comfortable with that. Yes. The problem is that the people who manage these people, they're not comfortable with it. So now they're putting their shit onto their face and saying, because I can't deal with it. You need to do different. Well, guess what? Wake up call everybody. Right. That's not the way it's working. And that's the piece we have to address. That's the piece we need to talk about. That's the piece organizations need to be, and leaders in organizations need to be aware of, which is exactly what, again, um, you couldn't have set me up any better for the question. <laughs> it's that's what I work with senior executives. Hey, when you walk into this room or when you're on this meeting, don't get triggered by it because that's what triggers you. Let's talk through this. What is it that you need to do for you? in order to not get triggered, but that you can show up that they actually A, can hear you, B, want to respond, C, they're inspired, D, they actually are starting, we talk in organizations about discretionary effort, that they mm -hmm. want to do more than just what they're required to do. And that's not somebody saying you need to do more than you were asked for. That is solely the decision of an employee. And the employee can be, for that matter, the, C the senior executive, the C-level executive, who is doing more than maybe the chairman of the board of a large organization is expecting, well, guess what, then he or she is exceeding as well. Mm -hmm. And that makes them feel better, that produces better results and return of investment for stakeholders. And it just makes for as cliche as it sounds, it just makes for a happier work life. Yeah, no, and I totally agree. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, and we're going to take a quick break here in just a second, but I was thinking about, you know, really asking the question of how do each of us innovate because generations, I think you're right. I think there are some common themes that we can see generationally, but for each of us, innovation happens in different scenarios. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we can use this opportunity to dive down and get to know individual contributors differently, 
and learn how they innovate and where they work best and how they work best and how they thrive um, and really be more aware. Not only will we find more integration in that work-life integration for them, we'll get, and not only will we get more, um, I think, more output that will be, everyone will feel good about, they won't be exhausted, but what we're really doing is saying, we are going to reinvent what work looks like today so 100%. that we we can achieve things that we never thought um, of achieving by by taking some time to reflect instead of being so eager to get back to quote unquote normal. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. And I think, like you said earlier, you know, it's the allowing. It's it's allowing myself. It's uh, you know, I think the other part uh, is is uh, CEOs unfortunately almost need to give permission to employees to exercise self care. Yes, because yes. they're not comfortable in actually taking care of themselves oftentimes. And I've seen many environments like that. And again, we, we started this journey talking about trust and, and trust is built by if I know that you care about me and you care about my environment and my health and all the various, you know, soul, mind and heart sets, um, as, as Robin Sharma talks about, um, that's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we will be right back. Imagine starting a long journey without a map or even a clear idea of the obstacles ahead. That's exactly what it's like for entrepreneurs who start companies with a lot of passion, but without the financial expertise to grow and scale their businesses and create long-term wealth for their families. Find a financial advisor who can help you map a better journey. Wayne Titus shows you how in his book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being. With the right advisor at your side, you'll have the freedom to focus on what really matters to you. Get The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Well-Being at Amazon.com and in the virtual bookstore on the Shock Your Potential app. And we are back with Stefan Tieringer. And I'm going to tell a funny story that one of the member of my team who will be editing this podcast, when he hears this, he will go, I can't believe you just said that about me, but I'll share a quick story, you know, talking about the respect for people. So I think I told you at the beginning, my entire team is based in Kenya and, you know, there's a story behind that, but you know, it's been amazing. I've got some great people. We've had to have some good heart to hearts as a team about, you know, what does it look like to work for a U.S. based client, you know, uh, some differences in cultures, lots of cultures, sure. but I have learned so much about work life from Kenya, from my team and things that I didn't know. I mean, I knew they had had high unemployment, you know, very highly educated, but yep. you know, not as many jobs and definitely not as much opportunity um, to work globally. And so um, I had um, my, who is now my uh, YouTube and video visual effects manager at the time, he had only been with me for about a month. So we're having a you know, monthly staff meeting and you know I'm just making sure everybody's got all their tasks and their to-dos and everybody knows what the timeline is because you know, we had another season, you know, no, another month of the podcast coming up and a lot of different things because we're moving in a lot of directions. And so I always would end the meeting saying, who, you know, each every everyone go through, tell us, you know, some things that you're working on and what you need from anybody else on the team over the next couple of weeks. And so everybody gets done and he was the last one. And he says, well, um, what's new is that my wife and I are going to have a baby. And we're like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. And I said, when is the baby due? And he said, um, any minute. And I went, wait, what? Wow. <laughs> and he goes, 
well, today's the due date and I we think it might be today. I'm like, is she in labor right at this minute? He goes, wow. I don't think so. But I'm like, what are you doing? And I said, okay, wait, everything clear off your plate. Like everybody, we need everybody to do anything that Edward needs, something we were going to have on Monday, cancel it. It's not that important. But I, I came back to him and I said later, and I'm like, why didn't you tell me, you know, let's, let's plan for this. You need to not feel like you have a hundred tasks to do for me before Monday when you're going to have a baby tonight. And, you know, he said, well, you know, I mean, I'm new and I didn't want it to be a problem. And, and it really made my, me so aware of especially being 3000 miles away and never being in the same room with your people, not 3000 miles. I don't know, 10,000 miles, 15,000. I don't even know how many miles away it's I was just thinking 3000 for me here to where my mom is, but you know, however, on the other side of the planet, here's my whole team. And it really made me stop and say, wow, you better ask some more questions, Michael, because if you don't think you know what's going on in people's lives, you really don't know what's going on in the lives of your team and you owe it to them to figure it out. So I can't say I'm perfect yet, but at least somebody would tell me before they (laughs) were in labor so we could plan accordingly. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I think I think you're talking to so many different points here. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a there's a part, you know. I mean, if you would take your colleague and you'd say, "Well, how did you learn? How were you introduced to to mm. work? And what does yes. work mean to you? And and what's the let's call it the threat level of external and bringing your personal family life into uh, mm-hmm. work?" So I work with executives a lot around what I call executive trauma. And um, what it really comes out of is, is when, when you think about what trauma is, there's three things happening. Uh, one is there's, a, there's particular people in the situation, so a situation happens, there's some action going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's a particular need you have, and then there's what you get. Mm-hmm. And here's the delta, which is kind of the setup either for failure or for not. And if we think about it in a traumatic context, at that moment, if you don't get what you need, you generally, or anybody for that matter, will develop uh, somewhat of a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And that coping mechanism for some people becomes, uh, in, in, in real life, we talk about addiction a lot, uh, becomes addictive behaviors or becomes simply patterns. They can yes. be very destructive. Um, and it can be also patterns, and I use it in the context of executive patterns, where they transfer certain behaviors they've learned somewhere else or adopted, right, the structures. Yeah. They transfer that into their new environment. And then suddenly there's a new culture in this organization. And all hell breaks loose. Oh, yes. And initially, it, it's it's kind of like, oh, something's not going right. And then suddenly, you know, the second guy quits on them or the third guy quits yeah. on them because they came in as a CEO or they came in as a senior VP or whatever it is or vice yes. versa. And it's very, very difficult for people to see that. And it's so hard sometimes to pe- pull people out. But then also to your other point, you know, how do we, how do we let people know? And when we think about the number one reason we, we have such a high number and for all you us listeners we have such a high number here in the united states currently of active disengagement yes and absolutely where, it's massive yeah and that is where people choose not to do what they're asked to by actual conscious choice mm-hmm. and the easiest way to to really reverse some of that is to let people know a they matter and b what they do for the company matters and giving them transparency on the impact that they have to the business Sounds super simple, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not that easy. And and your um and, and you know I'm I'm congratulations to you in terms of saying you know what interesting, 
I want to change that. I want to take the initiative to change that. I want to create a different culture. What mm -hmm. you just acknowledge to yourself is saying, you know what? I'm not perfect. Nobody is. And not but, and I want to change it. I want to be more right. of that. I want to give the space for them to not tell me on the day off. I want right. them to understand it's important to me. They matter to me. And that is why people stay in companies, right? Job fit and boss fit right. is the number one reason in the United States why companies, why people leave companies. Not because they don't get enough money. I think the statistic, and God, we did a survey last year in September um, after COVID, uh, was kind of expected and anticipated to hopefully kind of tail a little bit, but that that dragged us into 2021. Um, but uh, the, the the response was, I, I want to say close to 70% of people who are employees say that their job is, that their boss is not managing them effectively and that Correct. they wish yes. their boss would just get the hell out of their life. Yeah. 70%. And And, you know, if that's not a message for all of us who are, uh, bosses or leaders or whatever we call ourselves, and I say it very purposely, whatever we call ourselves, it, it, what it speaks to is that we don't build the relationships that I think as human beings, and that's why you asked the first question, right? What is the human? What human beings need? And we've all learned that through the pandemic. We need touch. We need connection. We need relevance. We need to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to be listened to. That's it. It's yeah. not that complicated. So then the Basically. next question is, how do we do this in different environments? And I think you just got the greatest gift ever uh, yeah. in, in, in them sharing it and you saying, you know what, I want to do this differently. So Well, and it, it really sparked a lot of great dialogues because then I was asking everybody, you know, what, what, what's the norm, you know, cause I didn't know what a norm, yeah. normal working environment was in Kenya. And a lot of the things that were shared with me is that, you know, in office, not, not only would you just be told, Hey, whatever's going on in your personal life, figure it out, That's but right. deliver the work by 3 PM on my desk. Right. Um, but also that, you know, what my team constantly is surprised by and the people that we have in our secondary business, because I let them interact with my team all the time. I'm like, if you need help with anything, here's my whole right. team. They're at your disposal. Most of them have never worked in an environment where you have someone who will support you because jobs are so scarce that they're mm -hmm. fighting each other. Mm -hmm. So they'll push somebody out of the way to keep their job or to move up and move ahead or just hold their head above water. And so as we build this different environment, it's very unique to them. And luckily, as I see my team relax and, you know, engage, you know, now I'm learning more about their personal lives and, and, you know, they're trying to teach me Swahili and, and it's hilarious. And, and as we get to know each other, it's, to me, it's so exciting to, um, to be able to create a place that's different, but I still have to ask a lot of questions because mm -hmm. there's still so much I don't know. And if I really want my team to grow and this other business to grow, it's not only important and imperative to the business, but there is a wealth of opportunity there in learning and bridging cultures that create, like I say to my team all the time, look, if you get tired of working for me or with one of our clients, I'd like you to have your resume and your background be so solid and your confidence be so high that you could be apply for a remote position for Microsoft or, right. you know, whatever. Um, because there is a global opportunity for you, but we're going to have to break down some more walls uh, before we get there. So let's do it. Let's take the sledgehammer to them. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, we, we briefly spoke earlier about the word curiosity, right? And curiosity, mm -hmm. I think is a big, big, big word. 
and we use it a lot. But when you think about, you know, what kids are uh, at a young age, they're very curious about everything. They want to touch, they want to feel, they want to taste, they want to smell. And and what we do as adults, and, and that's the first problem in education sometimes, but as adults, we say, don't do that, don't do that. And then at the age of 15, we say to them, why are you not more curious? And what they should say is, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to use the choice word, but you know that's what they should turn around and look at us as parents and say, well, what, you know, you, because you told me like 15 years ago, I shouldn't do that. And then mm. we're surprised that that's what they then take into adulthood. But, uh, you know, another invitation, I think, which is what you're doing is you're inquiring, you're, you're looking to learn, right? We very casually talk about, oh, we're lifelong learners, but curiosity is at the key of it. Mm-hmm. And if I can accept the fact that you're, and I always tell people there's four E's in our lives, they're all fundamentally different. The first E is education. Mm-hmm. The second E is the emotional stage you're in today or that you grew up with. The third mm-hmm. the one is your experience. Mm-hmm. And the fourth is education, experience, emotional stage, and um, expertise. Mm-hmm. And so, so all those four things are fundamentally different. And one relates to your personal and one relates to your professional. And if I accept the fact that whatever perspective you're sharing comes from the four E's that are relevant to you, and I share it from the four E's that are relevant to me, there's absolute no doubt about it. Then, then what your perspective is and my perspective is will be just by the nature of that setup will be fundamentally different. Yes. And it allows me to make space for that. And it allows me to inquire about, well, interesting, right? It's not, yeah, but it's, oh, interesting. And, and it continues the, the inquiry versus that shutdown and judgment because we're so quick, you know, to judge each other and to say, oh, and the dismissal, right? That's easy because it's easy for two reasons. A, I don't have to deal with it. And B, I'm not going to let you come close to me because it's my defense mechanism. And and guys in particular, I'm sure women do the same thing. We as guys, when we kind of throw that arrogance block up, it's mostly coming from a space of insecurity and that something around us is making us not feel very safe. And we do all kinds of things then because in the end, guess what? Newsflash, we're all still very tribal. So I yeah, think there's, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of different layers there. Yeah. And I always say we're humans dealing with humans. That's right. Which is challenging in and of itself but if we remember that we're not humans dealing with robots or you yeah. know we are humans dealing with humans it's going to be messy newsflash the person you're talking to is a human <laughs> oh, my God. Don't, i'm not saying that we haven't had some you know extra ter- extraterrestrials come down and they're exhum- you know take some human that's form right. that's possible that's but right. That's <laughs> probably right. not. That's right. Probably. I remember, you know, funny side note. And when I first came here, so I'm, I'm still today. I'm a resident alien, uh, yes. which now is like an INS, whatever it is. But I used to have this joke when I used to coach my daughter this team soccer. The joke was this: like, hey, I'm an alien, and they all thought because I literally showed them my card one day, and it said on the alien. They goes, oh my god, you're really an alien. I said, yeah, I'm an alien. Yeah. And so yeah. from then on, they used to greet me like this. It was funny as anything. You're like men in black. Yeah, we had to go through it. He, That's you, right. Your, That's your right. grandparents at Ellis Island. I have to go through the men in black, uh, you know, station to come in. To That's visit right. Her. Beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, Stefan, I could talk to you all day. I know that we're going to have all your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody wants to look you up right now, what's the best way for them to find you? Best way is humaninnovationgarage.com. Um, you find me, you find the company. Or simply, you know, as I always say, uh, wherever you get your social media fix, if that's Instagram, it's very simple, stefan.terringer or, uh, you know, LinkedIn, obviously, as well. So whatever is most convenient, uh, happy to, to connect and chat. 
Excellent. Well, and before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? You know, I think the biggest piece is always because when we talk humans, uh, the first human we need to talk about is ourselves. And mm -hmm. I think the part is, you know, exercise self-care. And what I always like to say is when you think about the if, turn that if into when. And what mm -hmm. I mean with that is this, it's like turn every if into when at that moment, the when becomes a commitment. It becomes uh, the requirement for you to make a strategy how to get there that can be on an individual level, that can be on a business level. And I think that's, uh, you know, my invitation of switching some of those terminologies around. I love it. And I believe it as well. Thank you so much. You have been a fabulous guest. I am so glad Michael, you came on our you. show today. Very, very much appreciated. It's been an honor, fun to be here. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.